Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. Have a beautiful week. As the mindful bell takes us into the present moment, we stop, we open to receive the grace of this sacred now moment. Today is the 80th birthday of my beloved brother, Raul, and so we celebrate his life today. My nephew also turns 40 today. And so October 8th is a very significant day. Maria's father made his transition 40 years ago into heaven. And so he's on the other side, but he's with us in our hearts. And so as we reframe how we think about life, well, then life can expand in a way that is mysterious and beautiful, inviting us to journey into where we are right now, setting an intention this Sunday morning to open mm, to that field of divine love, knowing that divine love brings together and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. And so when we surrender to divine love, well, then all we have to do is look around and know that this is the life the Lord has made. Could I rejoice and be glad in it? Not always seeking to create a different reality, but opening to the context of what is right now and saying yes, a thousand times yes. And in that, we get to stay clear and authentic as we journey one breath at a time into the sacred space of the life that we all share. So having planted that seed of intention I invite you to take a deep integrating breath and exhale as we let go and we let God eternally letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go until we've let go of everything we need to let go of. And there, say what, Michael? Oh, he says there is no more. Ah, there is no more in oneness, is there? Yeah, kind of play with that. So I'm using for an inspiration. I always like a muse. And this, Trey gave me this book. It's the brand new book by Mark Nepo. It's called Falling Down and Getting Up. And basically it says we're all going to fall down in life. But we get to pick ourselves up and find a new way to navigate. And in this lovely book, he says, when present enough and authentic enough, we... I'm going to cheat a little bit and put on some reading glasses because sometimes the print seems smaller and I think I do 2020, but maybe I'm 2030. Anyway, um, we hear a different kind of voice that comes from within, which is less derivative and which more directly imbues us with the emanation of the life force that we are born with. Could we listen to that still small voice that doesn't get louder, gets clearer, 
when we stop listening to this nattering nabob of negativity that runs the show in our head. And so something falls into a place of remembrance. And in Sufism, they say, all is forgetting and remembering. When I forget who I am, I think I'm separate from you. When I remember who I am, I remember that there's only one life here, endlessly revealing itself. So could I remember the truth that that still small voice huh, is the knower within and it assists us one breath at a time in discovering this inner belonging to the universe. Barbara Marks Hubbard calls it the universe soul. And this beautiful, enlightened woman at the end of her life wrote the 52 ways to align to the truth of our being and not get distracted by the me world. My beloved friend Wanda Gale sent me a video. It's called The Leading Edge of the Unknown in the Human Being by Ken Wilber. I sent it to Anastasia and I watched it and it was very painful to watch because it talks about how there's different stages of our evolution. And Ken Wilber says there's two aspects to it. One is called growing up and the other is called waking up. Now the waking up happens in those moments when you can see clearly now, oh my God, waking up moments we don't have a lot of control over. But the growing up we do. It's a developmental part of our consciousness. And Ken Wilber so beautifully says these stages of life are kind of painful. First is the archaic stage, and then is the um, mythic stage, and then is the metaphorical stage. And ultimately you get to the integrative stage where you see it's all part of the whole and you're not stuck down here in the archaic way of thinking. And then he talks about people who are in the archaic stage. It's all about me. It's about the ego. And they develop a spirituality that's very uh, centered on my tribe. And I've got the right way and everybody else has got the wrong way. And if you live in that egocentric about the me and the we, the we that I've identified with, we could call them the evangelical movement at this time in life, where it's all about the man Jesus, when in truth it's never been about the man Jesus. It's about this consciousness of the Christ, the universal Christ, that requires all of us to participate. So this bigger something throughout time, Ken Wilber said, has been pushing forward this evolutionary truth, but how many of us are going to actually let our lives be integrated at a higher level, at a higher vibration? So after watching that very disturbing video, I sent it to my little sister, and she hasn't contacted me since, Anastasia. Oh, well, don't cast your pearls before family members. Um, so at the very end of the book, he talks about this place that we arrive at, this place of true understanding. And there's a beautiful word in one of these foreign language, Sanskrit, and it's called santosha. And santosha co combines the word sam with tosha which means, Sam means entirely and completely all together. All together. And the Tosha means contentment, satisfaction, and acceptance. So Santosha is you're totally accepting of life right now. After the stroke, after the heart attack in America where democracy may be at whatever, we get to accept it completely, unconditionally. And with that level of consciousness, listen to what happens. Accepting the circumstances of reality completely without denying their impact on our lives. This is an inner state that is earned, an earned quality of being that does not try to flee the path of being a human, while it does not feel also oppressed by the difficulties of being a human. You focus on the non-toothache when there is a toothache. 
And yes, there's going to be some pain in this life. We're all at a threshold of something wanting to give birth. So could we know that with this transformation, a certain amount of suffering is going to take place because as Ken Wilber says, we're going to have to let go of the normal and step into something that hasn't even been created yet. It's the uncreated something that comes from this deep sense of belonging to this bigger something. You can feel the alchemy of it, can't you? Ken Wilber always sets me on fire. When engaging life, while in a spiritual mood of santosha, we don't try to alter or stop the wheel of life, nor do we acquiesce to all that befalls us. We don't become a victim of our circumstance. We actually say to the one who hits your new car, that's not acceptable, and we're going to go to the police. I mean, I'm just saying. And it doesn't make you a bad person. We participate by holding nothing back while accepting that we are part of a force that is larger than us. So when someone says something inappropriate at the table next to us, we might find the courage to say, you know, this is really angering me because this isn't acceptable to blame the teacher when the students don't do well. And so as a loving teacher, I'm going to reflect. You know, my sweet husband was a teacher for years. And what he would do when he would have trouble with his students, he would call the parents. And he would say, your child needs to participate in their education. I can't do it if your child isn't going to assist me by being a part of that. So sometimes we find our voice and we do it skillfully. We participate by holding nothing back while accepting that we are part of a force that's larger than us. And this state of being alive in the world requires an inner skill, an inner skill, sweet Anastasia, that is uh, difficult to inhabit, but deeply worth pursuing. And this Sunday, I'm going to talk about staying clear and staying authentic. And these are, it's a chapter in this book. When you stay clear, you're operating from the clarity of that higher intelligence. And when you stay authentic, you're operating from the depth of your soul. And he says the three qualities that we require to, to stay clear and authentic, he said to live in patience, not in patience, in presence, then to live with meaning, meaning comes from the soul, and then to live in um, communication. We're always in relationship. We're in relationship to our body. We're in relationship to our mind. We're in relationship. So could we open to this communication from within and discover what's it trying to communicate to us? Adam is a master at it. He's got Thich Nhat Hanh preaching to him at a subjective level. So we have to be humble enough to open to this inner guidance system that by its very nature is custom designed for each one of us. The spiritual teacher, Elisa Komersara, described Santosha as the inner state of durable happiness, which comes from seeing what is possible while accepting what is. <laughs> I can see clearly now the pain has gone. And it was all created by me. I can see all the obstacles that were in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. Guess what? It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. The tree has fallen, and now I can see the sky. Whoa, isn't that a magical thing? So, Santosha, the inner state of durable happiness, which comes from seeing what is possible while accepting what is. And in the anonymous Hindu text, the Yoga Vashatusha, Santosha is described as part of our path to true inner liberation. You know, you need to surround yourself with bigger ideas that kind of uh, encourage us to stretch and ponder something that's so much bigger so that we can then let go of the idea that we have all the answers. You know the worst place to be in life is to be the know-it-all that has all the answers? You want to be the humble one that says, I don't have a clue, but something greater than me does. Could I tune into the great mystery and say, I belong to you? 
do with this life as you will. Here's what he says at the end. There are four soldiers who guard the road to Moksha. Moksha is the word for liberation. These four guards are patience, which is peace of mind, atma, another word for soul, which is inquiry through the self, santosha, which is contentment through the deepest acceptance of what is, and lastly, through association with the wise. Well, why do you think I hang out with you guys? And you know, Pam Hurdy so beautifully said in her workshop last weekend, knowledge without experience does not lead to wisdom. Yes, we can know all the things on this planet, but if you haven't had a direct experience, you're not going to find that part of you that's wise. So could we open to have a direct experience? And then you hear um, uh, Abraham Maslow, who wrote a little book called Religion and the Peak Experience. He says the problem with most religions out there is that they haven't had that peak experience where they know their oneness. Give them a little ayahuasca and see what they have to say. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. So we have santosha, which is contentment through acceptance and association with the wise. If you can succeed in making only one of these your friend, patience. I love patience. Atma, self-inquiry. Santosha, contentment and acceptance of what is. And then associating with the wise. You know, you need to hang out with enlightened people like Thich Nhat Hanh because he's still on the planet. He's just not in his body. Sometimes I stand on the front porch now that I'm haunted by my twin sister, and I say, you know, I'm haunted by a lot of ancestors. Emerson kind of lives in me. Shakespeare kind of lives in me. Whoa, there's so many. I think Ernest Holmes probably lives in me, and um, Natasha Richardson. Oh, that poor thing. She hit a tree. Um, but I see her more as Isadora Duncan with her scarves dancing for God. Mm. What if they all live in us? We can cultivate a readiness for clarity and authenticity by the simple act of practicing patience, practicing deepest acceptance of what is, practicing an inner inquiry. What is this trying to show me? Where's the pony in here? You know, could we practice that little inner inquiry? How is this serving me? Everything is serving us ultimately. And then the last one of those things is to seek out the wise. To seek out the wise. That's why I always love to find little inspirations to inspire me on Sunday morning so I can ride the wave of that aha moment that they are sharing with me and then maybe convey it to you and, and, and deepen it. This little section is from the class we're teaching, Everything Belongs, and this reminded me of my beloved Anastasia because Richard Rohr really slapped me around this week in this last chapter about the sacred space. He said, in order to know the sacred space, you got to go into the darkness. you got to go into the suffering. you got to go into the transformation. You've got to go into some kind of an annihilation. Well, who wants to talk annihilation? I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? So this is at the end of this book, Returning to the Sacred. My God, it was hard for me. 30 pages of annihilation. So he, this is what he says. We wait for who we are. We wait for the coming of grace in our lives. We wait for the revelation of God. We wait for the truth. We wait for a vision of the whole. And then he says, but it's not enough to just wait. He said, it's time that we start praying. And what is prayer? Then I hear Emerson, prayer are the contemplations of the facts of life with a jubilant and beholden soul. So could we then take this waiting consciousness, knowing that it's always there for us, and start praying by giving thanks for that which is already flowering within us? And it's a felt awareness. Pray without ceasing. Every moment is a prayer. 
Everywhere we go is a prayer. How you do anything is how you do everything. How you prepare the vegetables for the soup is a prayer. How you take your little dog that's shaking and put a thunder shirt on him and hold him in your arms is a prayer. I mean, Pepper is a prayer. Every time I see her, I see baby Speck. She didn't die. She lived at Anastasia's house. She needed a space to express, and I was too vulnerable at the time, so she chose this one as her mother. He says, we can trust ourselves because we are family in touch with our true self. Well, isn't that liberating at the end of the book? He says, trust yourself because you're part of the, the true self. So many of us don't think we can trust ourselves. And when yourself, you know, Anastasia's beautiful son's going away to college. And I wish I'd known now what I didn't know then because I thought I had to pick a, a, a major and I had to find a path for life. And I didn't know anything other than when I went to college, I literally deconstructed the perfectionist and I found somebody who was real, who was vulnerable, who was creative, who wasn't acceptable to the world, I found out, but yet I had to learn to love him. So what if college is like not some place where we find our career, but is a place where we grow up? And then you hear Ken Wilber, it's growing up and it's waking up. And the growing up is the challenging part because that's where we get to live mindfully. That's where we get to choose the path that we'll be on. That's where we get to participate in who am I going to be? Am I going to be some version that wants to please the world out there? Or am I going to set myself on fire and discover something that is much greater than the little self that I had been cultivating up until that moment? Could I find the artist in me, the singer in me, the dancer in me? So he says, we have to allow ourselves to be drawn into sacred space, into what he calls liminality. Liminality is this place where everything seems to be falling apart. He calls it the threshold of that which hasn't happened and meeting that which is the, you might call it the stagnant zone, where everything is normal. This is predictable. This is where I've been. Something liminal, liminal is at a threshold that's wanting to emerge. Could we court that liminality? He said, all transformation takes place in this liminality. We have to move out of the business as usual and remain on a threshold. The word lemon is from Latin, and it means that which is betwixt and between. There the old world is needs to be left behind where we're not sure of a new one yet. Could we let the old world go and yet step into the uncertainty? But I don't know where I'm going to go yet and feel safe in that threshold of the emerging evolution. We all see we all want certainty. But as Emerson says, only to the degree that you are uncertain, is there any hope for you? So there is this old world, it's left behind, and we're not sure what the new one is yet. That's a good place to be in for all of those who you want certainty, Miss Mary. Get there often and stay as long as you can by whatever means possible. I think you've won that award, Anastasia. You're doing really good on the liminality thing. And it's the realm where God can best get at us because we're finally out of the way. Sometimes it takes a two by four to get us out of the way so God can connect with us. In sacred space, the old world is able to fall apart and the new world is then able to be revealed. How many of you want to have a new world, a new beginning? Are you willing to let go of the familiar, the known, and step into the unknown, knowing that it's going to require um, a sense of uncertainty and a little bit of suffering and confusion? There may be tears and there may be laughter. And you know what he calls this place of liminality? He calls it the crazy world, Adam. When things seem to be going crazy, you're right on task, Miss Susan, so just know that. He says, some native people call the liminal space crazy times. It's times where nothing looks like what we're used to. It's like the time after the death of someone that you love. Maria knows what that's all about. 
I believe that is uniquely the work of religion to lead us into crazy time. I underline that with three lines. Religion is to give us crazy time, not to help us feel comfortable in our self-righteous attitude of we're right and everybody else is wrong. No, no, that's the dead zone. We're here to get so uncomfortable that we realize, oh my God, I have to die in order to be born again in this universal Christ, which is forever recreating itself. Well, it's all or nothing, Anastasia. You can't just dip your toes into the universe. You gotta dive in. Native peoples call this crazy time. It's time where nothing looks like what we're used to, like the time after the death of someone you love. I believe that is uniquely the work of religion is to lead us into this crazy time. Religion should lead us into that space that deconstructs the old normal world and sets us on fire with possibility. Huh, isn't that exciting then? Cheap religion teaches us how to live successfully in a sick system. Oh, wasn't that a great sentence? A cheap religion teaches us how to live successfully in a sick system, a system that judges some and praises others and has a hierarchy of who's the good and who's the bad. He's not for these sick systems. He said, the way things are must somehow be interrupted. The system must be deconstructed. He's deconstructing the Catholic Church in the most loving way. He's your brother's hero, by the way, Gus. So just so you know, he's not being um, sacrilegious here. I did this for him. Happy birthday. Anyway, the system must be constructed. That's the job of the prophet. Ooh, now he's saying Jesus was a prophet. He wasn't the king to be worshipped. No, he was the prophet that turned the tables in the temple and says, get a new spirituality. One where you say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what I do, you too shall do, and greater than this. And to judge not, lest ye be judged. And forgive 70 times 7. He was a prophet telling them how to get there. So the prophet leads us out of our normalcy, dissolves us, and debunks it. I find it's interesting that Jesus is called the priest, the king, but very rarely the prophet. And so I wrote down here, Richard Rohr, the prophet, on the top of that page. He's taking the mantle of Jesus, the prophet. Huh. The archetypal meaning of these roles. Indeed, most religion is a legitimizing religion. It is invoked for social control and public order, most religions. It tells us it's okay to live in toxic and unjust environments just as long as you have the parental relationship with Jesus inside the sixth system. Pope Paul VI said it this way, there can never be personal conversion without also working for societal transformation. We've got to take it to the world. You know, when I became a religious science minister, I realized I was unlike any other religious science minister because I wasn't teaching the law of mind. I was teaching the mystical truth of oneness that we're all part. And Richard Rohr says, the mystic is the one that set themselves on fire and then the whole world watches them burn. Could we have the courage to understand the mystic awareness which says it's all one and you're part of that oneness? Then you get to go through this journey and witness it with such compassion eyes. Last week, I talked about fidelity to the journey. And um, I've been looking for examples of people who are faithful to the journey. That's what I want for Seth, that he's got fidelity to his journey of unfoldment. My sweet husband loves to watch Shark Tank because he thinks it's where the entrepreneur can meet the needs of the world. And this week, we watched these guys called Bambas. You know who Bambas are? These young men that had this vision that they wanted to make socks really top drawer socks that they could sell the world. But for every 
pair of bombas you buy, one is donated to the homeless people. So this little startup that started with integrity maybe five years ago has a billion dollars profit because people want to buy something where it gives to somebody else. And so they said, they came on the other night and they said, we are so grateful that one little idea took us on a journey that was so much bigger than ourselves. And now these bombas, the homeless get these socks. And you know, you feel like you're connected to something bigger. So could we look for those examples outside of us that say, ah, that's how I want to operate in the world, bringing some of the best part of me to what's out there. Um, okay, I got a blessing for Raul. Trey's always looking at my book saying, what is this simple book? It's called The Gentle Art of Blessing, the simple practice that will transform you and the world. So Trey asked me this morning, are you telling me that if we turn to blessing that we're going to save the world? And I says, well, I think if you bless what is and you give thanks for what is, you're receiving the grace of that. And so what if we could open to the blessing of life at whatever stage we're on? I shared with Maria that I've had a heart attack uh, when I was 69. And in a strange sort of way, it gave me my life because I had the fortune, the good fortune, to have a very liberal doctor from Massachusetts who was young and who knew the latest technique to put the stint in and save someone who had had the widowmaker. And then when I came out of the anesthesia, the nurse in the room, whatever that room is where you wake up, um, she said, you're not supposed to be here. And I went to her, what? And she said, you had the Widowmaker and only 2% survived. I said, well, thank you for giving me that positive input. And um, and then when the doctor came in, um, he says, yeah, he went in right for my wrist. And then he put the stint in. And I felt like I was alive again. I'd had this congestion. I'd had this pain. And I didn't realize that it was there for the longest time. But I wasn't listening to my body. I was kind of denying the pain, the old way we used to do in religious science. I denied it instead of listened to it. If I had listened to it, maybe I would have gotten attention earlier on. And I remember saying, he said, do you have any questions as I woke up? I said, I have only one question. I said, why do you doctors spend so much time looking up my ass with a colonoscopy and nobody ever looked into my heart? I mean, I had like four colonoscopies, and I never had anybody concerned about my heart. I mean, it's a legitimate question. And then he said, well, do you have any concerns? And I said, well, I have only one concern. I said, what happens to me happens to my partner tenfold. So I know that I'm going to live through this, and Glory G brought me a little healing rock, and I held. But he is, you know, because, and it's true, we do affect one another. We're not separate. So I found a little blessing for you, Raul, in this lovely book of blessings that I thought would be appropriate for your birthday. It's called a blessing for yourself. And you can take it for yourself too because there's only one here. And this might transform the world. He said, it is fitting that the last blessing of this book is for yourself. And it's given in the spirit of Zephaniah, chapter three, book 17. Well, it must be from the book of Zephaniah, wherever the hell that is. Infinite mother love, infinite mother love, I bless myself as the smile of thy great love. Ooh, isn't that nice? Infinite mother love, I bless myself as the smile of thy great love, as the song of thine infinite goodness, and as the stream of thy refreshing truth. You know, my twin passed on Christmas Day, and I feel her smile in my heart. It just is like that. So when he says the mother is smiling in our heart, they're just saying, you know who's with you today, Gustavo and Raul. I bless myself in the discernment that enables me to realize that I am a stream. 
I am a song. I am a smile to all those that I meet as they are that for me. When Glory G walked in here today and smiled at me, that smile took me right home and I realized that we're one. I bless myself and the discernment that enables me to realize that I am a stream, a song, a smile to all that I meet as they are to me. I bless myself in my guiltless innocence. We are all innocent, all of you. Stop beating up on yourselves. I bless myself in my guiltless innocence, in my full joy that none can rob or erode. No one can take my peace of mind and say that I did something and I should feel guilty. I can see clearly now I'm not guilty at all and neither are you. And so then we practice self-forgiveness and when we can forgive ourselves, well then we forgive everyone else because we're not separate. I was sharing with class the other day that my very first workshop on forgiveness I was partnered up with this young lady, very pretty, and she said to me, there's one thing I can't forgive. I'll never be able to forgive. And we're supposed to forgive everything, and your partner's supposed to say, thank you, and I set you free. Well, the one thing she couldn't forgive was that her young husband had committed suicide on their honeymoon. I know. I mean, you drop your mouth open. That's a pretty... And all I could say to her is she's sobbing, and um, I said, he must have been in so much pain. So rather than making it about your loss, and I know your loss is huge, could we maybe tune in to this young man who was in so much pain that he felt that he needed to transition? I mean, we can't understand. Why do we try to understand something? And you know, sobbing in my arms, she forgave him, and she forgave herself. And I got to reap the benefit of those lovely arms in mine. I bless myself in my guiltless innocence, in my full joy that none can rob or erode, And I bless myself in my peace that is as deep as the ocean and as calm as the lake at dusk. Last week, I shared with you that Mark Nieper referenced the the ocean. And he said, so many of us operate at the surface of the ocean where the turbulent waves exist. But we can just as easily identify with the deep in the ocean. And then when the deep comes up to the surface, well, then you're dealing with the surface level of stife life but you're dealing from a place of depth, from a place of deepest acceptance, from that sambusa word, the deepest acceptance, that this is a spiritual being having a human experience and my spiritual being can embrace my humanity and find that there is a resonance there. There's a discovery there. There's a a healing there. Do you suppose that healing is something much bigger than what we think? Oh, I think so. That's Bert. When he comes in, that's Bert. I bless myself in my peace that is as deep as the ocean and as calm as the lake at dusk. So use and reinvent this blessing every day, adding the qualities that you especially wish to express. And he adds there, there may be patience. You may want intelligence. You may invoke purity. You may call forth strength, Susan. You may call forth humor. Whatever is required, invite that quality in to your remembrance. And remember that as the reflection, you are the smile of God. And you already have these qualities as a part of you. So do not, they do not have to be added on, but simply unveiled. And then you hear Rumi, that the lover is the veil to the beloved. And so when we lift the veil of the separate self, well, then all that is left is the beloved. So the beloved in me sees the beloved in you, Glory G. The beloved in me sees the beloved in you, Adam. And then the the filter of Adam and David lift, and there's just one here. So could we um, stay clear and authentic that who we are 
is the very presence and power that longs to be made manifest here on earth, what Barbara Marx Hubbard called the universe soul, the one soul of the one life. And when it operates in us, it operates from presence, it operates from meaning, and it operates in communication with one another. So everywhere we go, we're in communication with this divine, loving intelligence. Isn't that kind of precious? And so wherever you go, you see it in a dog, you see it in a chipmunk, you see it in a squirrel, you see it in, in a fish in the stream, you see it in the tree in the backyard that fell over. It's all part of that one life. Lastly, he says, enjoy the unveiling, my dear friend. It will become the greatest discovery of your existence. And remember always that as the reflection, you are the smile of God and you already have the qualities that you need as a part of you and they do not have to be added on, but simply revealed. So we're revealing something every day. Yes. So let me do a little closing meditation, and then we have a beloved song from Raoul, and then we're going to do a little sing-along. So um, Jan, will you go ring the bell one time? The bell is really sacred to me. When I was with Thich Nhat Hanh, they would always ring the bell as an opportunity to stop and access, there you go, uh, for whom the bell tolls, the bell tolls for thee, for me, for life, the classic invitation to be here now and let the breath become conscious within ourselves. As we practice the art of staying clear, and staying authentic. Recognizing that life is a practice. My beloved brother David Copeland reminded me that when we pause, we create a sacred space for integration, a space for inquiry and discovery, a place where we have a direct experience of waking up and waking in and ultimately waking out into the world as the embodiment, the expression of the truth revealed. They say the truth unhides itself when it's ready. And so we come to these experiences at the Center for Spiritual Living to place ourselves in that fertile domain of discovery and direct experience so that that which is hidden within can wake up to its spiritual magnificence and we witness it. It says in the Quran, am I not your Lord? To which we, the creation, say, yes, we witness you. So when we witness the one everywhere revealing itself, something in us is recognizing mm, the unveiling process of the divine. I can see clearly now. We're not looking out at form, but we're looking from source. And we can see clearly now that the pain has gone, the pain that was holding us bound. And now we can discover this luminosity within the alchemy of light. And then in that alchemy of light, we rendezvous with love a love 
that heals, a love that sets us free. There is only love. So taking a deep breath into that integrating place and taking refuge in the smile within the heart, we say to ourselves, I have arrived, I am home. I open to the grace of what is. Discover the possibilities of the eternal life unfolding. As I integrate, celebrate, uh, and investigate the exquisite dance of life. Feeling that vibrational connection to all creation. Take a deep integrating breath. Give a sigh for the divine. Ah, and as Julian of Norwich says, all is well and all shall be well. Place your hands over your heart. Join with me in the heart salutation, which says, I honor you. I respect you. I love you. You are the emerging presence of divine love. Flowering in the soul of the one. Celebrating possibility and potential as we heal into wholeness, as we see only oneness, and we live in the dynamic yes. All is good. All is here for me. And I demand to see the blessing. Ha! And so it is. listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org.